We are going to continue in Romans chapter 12. Uh, I was talking with somebody before the service, and they were wondering whether or not I would be able to continue in Romans chapter 12 because Eric just loves doing that. Now, I can tell you that Pastor Eric has stepped outside of his comfort zone and allowed somebody else to continue on in the book that he is in. And so it is my joy to finish this great chapter. And I just want to share with you that this chapter in chapter 13 really is a snippet of the Christian life. If you and I are are very serious about our spiritual growth uh, from the point of our salvation, you know, if you read it and I read it inside and out again and again and again, this is what God's design is for us and his desire and how to live. It is the reality that God's transforming grace is magnified and it should remind us of all that he has done. This chapter, these final verses, reminds us that God's transforming grace is magnified in your life and my life in a wonderful way. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you again for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Lord, as we jump into it today, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, be honored and glorified and that your word would fall fresh on our hearts today and find fertile, fertile soil. Take deep root and that you would encourage us through the power of your spirit and the power of your living word, that you would challenge us in that area of growth that you would change us. Lord, if there's anyone watching online or here in this building who has never trusted Christ as Savior, might they see that that is the beginning of God's transformation, and it is through his grace. For by grace we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And Lord, it will never be by works. So Father, I pray that you would just work in our hearts and lives for your glory and your glory alone this morning. For it is in your Son's name, the very name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. I know some of you have heard of a guy by the name of Rob Cutshaw. Uh, He lived about an hour and a half uh, south of Atlanta, Georgia. And he was the kind of guy that loved to go walk through creek beds and things like that and find uh, rocks, unique rocks, pretty rocks. And he would actually sell them on the roadsides at different times. And, uh, and one day as he was walking through a creek bed, he found this big, purdy rock. And so he decided that, man, this is so beautiful, I think I can get a couple hundred dollars for it. And so he put it at his roadside stand, which was also fruits and vegetables and everything else. And, you know, throughout the whole tourist season, it never sold. Um, By the way, this is the 80s. Yeah, I don't know why people buy rocks, to be perfectly honest. But... Uh, people do, you know, and unique and things like that. And so he put this big pretty one out there. Nobody bought it. So he took it home after everything shut down. And 
You know, he decided to use this big purdy rock to hold the door open when it got hot outside so that the breeze could come through the screen door. And, and after a while, he didn't have any use for it, so he put it in his closet uh, for a while. Next year, he took it out and tried to sell again, uh, thinking, you know, again, he'd be able to at least get a couple hundred dollars for it because it was just so big and purdy and everything. Well, it ended up back in his closet again. Relatives came to visit, and they looked at him, and they encouraged him, man, you need to go get this checked out. It might be of more value than a couple hundred dollars. And when they took to a gemologist, geologist kind of person, uh, they looked at it, and they said, hey, what you have there is a blue sapphire. It's huge. And it's worth about $2.75 million dollars. And he, whoa. And it wasn't even cut yet. And they found somebody in Texas who was the best at cutting gems and gemstones. And as he cut this gemstone, he found the Star of David within it. And it is today the largest perfected gemstone over 11 ounces and that is exactly what it is called the star of David and it is worth 175 million dollars folks God's grace when you and I get saved it's sometimes something we put in the closet Use it to hold the door. It's big. It's pretty. It's nice. We used it. Uh, for by grace we're saved. But as we grow in Christ and as we're transformed, we have to see the magnitude of the value of it in our lives because we do not deserve it. This chapter captures it all. He starts right out by the mercies of God. We are to present ourselves uh, as living sacrifice. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is, verse 3, the grace that was given to Paul and to everyone who is among us, you and I today, that we ought not think more highly of ourselves, but think soberly, that we should realize that we have this measure of faith and plead for our faith to grow. We have these spiritual gifts, again, by God's grace that he has given to us to to share him so that Christ can live in us and through us for his glory and his glory alone. And when we start allowing God's grace to truly be magnified in our lives, we, will, we are to reveal God's transforming grace to each other and to a lost and dying world. Love, God's love, God's agape love, needs to be magnified in our lives. Look at verse 9. Let love, agape, be without hypocrisy. You know, Christ's love for us is so sincere, and genuine, and real God's. It is unconditional. And he calls on us through this transformation now in growing in Christ's likeness now to allow that love that we have received to flow through us sincerely, 
with genuineness so that our character isn't Rich Bailey anymore, but Christ living in me and Christ's likeness growing. That is what he calls us to. It is to be that pure love, sincere and pure, motivated by everything that is good. Abhor what is evil. You and I should not be attracted to evil sin the way we were before we were saved. We should not run into the things of the world. We need to cling to what is good. We know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, who with there is no, no change. You and I know that. That's James telling us, you know, that the good things of life come down from our Heavenly Father. Last night I had somebody share with me that his wife is expecting a baby. You know, and he was so excited, and it's their first one. And just so excited about things. We have so many good gifts from God, starting with those spiritual gifts that God has given us so that we can uh, magnify him in our lives. A pure love. Love being magnified in us and through us for God's glory. Before I went into ministry, I worked in a workshop in a machine shop. And you know that's a rough place to be a, uh, a testimony for Christ. And that's why I began to grow in understanding that, ah, man, they need to see something different in me. And after I was ordained, I continued to work in this place and somebody came up to me and I was working in, inside my machine changing things and I had this eerie feeling that somebody was behind me and I turned around, here's a guy I didn't even know. Um, the place I worked for employed over 25,000 people and we had multiple shops all around. And he looks at me and he goes, are you the preacher? I, uh, well, yes. <laughs> and he... He asked a very important and very hard question. He goes, why do children die? Boy, I don't have the answer to that other than God allows it for some reason and it rips our hearts apart and he wants to be glorified in it. God, how do, we, how do we respond in love to those around us who are hurting the most? Not only does he want us to grow in pure love, agape love, his love, but he wants us to grow in brotherly love. Look at verse 10. It says, be kindly affection to one another in brotherly love. Phileo, Philadelphia. In honor, giving preference to one another. The body of Christ is meant to be so close-knit together, utilizing our gifts together. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, that is the plan for the body of Christ. And as Doug was sharing, that's exactly what happened this past week. 250 people got together to glorify God, to be a blessing to children, to encourage children in their walk with God by doing all of these crazy things with them so that they have fun, but yet that Christ is the center and the focus for the whole week so that young lives are changed. 
Well, that's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the body of the church beyond these doors every single day. That's why we, we love it when we get together and connect groups and to be able to share things. That is what God calls us to do, to be building the brotherhood within the body of Christ, giving preference to one another, just earnestly desiring to see others edified within the body of Christ and encouraged in their walk with Christ to walk beside them in the difficulties of time. Verse 11 goes on to say, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Man, a promise is a promise. Never lagging in diligence, not being slothful in our walk with God, not being slothful in our pursuit of Christ's likeness. Commitment and consistency. A commitment to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and developing a consistency in our walk with him that is a constant upward flow in Christ's likeness. Growth, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And to do it diligently, fervently wanting the spirit of God to be vibrantly alive in our lives. You know, Galatians 5 is a very important chapter, especially the second half of it, you know, where it talks about walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, so that the fruit of the Spirit can be revealed in our lives. That's spiritual growth. That is what it is. And as you and I capture that and we strive for that, we are not grieving or quenching the Spirit of God. Listen, I, w- I want us all to hear this. If I am not over here pursuing my relationship with God, walking in, living in, being led by the Spirit of God because of the living Word of God, growing in grace, I am quenching or grieving. There is no middle road. And far too many Christians think there's some middle road where I can do both and not worry about it. No, we take God's grace for granted. We kick it to the curb. He yearns for us within the body of Christ to do this, honoring the body, not slothful, red hot and pursuing God with a servant's heart, wanting him to be magnified in our lives. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Rejoicing in hope. And you know there's days that that life just stinks and it hurts, but yet we ought to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the wonders of what we have. And persevering in life during the hard times, the difficult times, yearning for Christ to be revealed in our lives and our hearts so that He is magnified, and the only way we're going to do that is if we continue steadfastly in prayer. We have to be people of prayer. We have to be people that are consistently on our face before God because that's how he wonderfully reveals himself for us. I I love counseling, you know, and I do a lot of premarital. I do a lot of marital. I do a lot of individual. And, you know, a common weakness that comes in, a point that has been neglected, is a personal prayer life. Man, our great God has done so much for us, and we can't talk to him. And I know uh, some people think it's hard because we can't see God. 
How many of you married folk have ever gone for a walk with your wife? Oh, come on. You don't go for a walk with your wife? How many of you gone for a walk with your wife? All right. Good. Hey, did you talk to each other while you're gone on that little walk? Well, go for a walk with God. Talk to him. Let him hold your hand. You know, and, and look at him being steadfast in your prayer life, communing with our great God so that he can share all that he desires for you. Distributing, verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, yearning to meet needs. And whether it's a kind word, a listening ear, whether it's a time of prayer, whether it is something financial, it is meeting needs within the church. That's the purpose of the Connect Group, knowing that when there are needs and being used to be able to help provide for those needs. We have a, a benevolence thing here at church, and it, it is good, and we work hard through that. I think of the, the day that George and everybody surrounded our widows with, and we had 117 volunteers meet the needs of so many widows, and they were a blessing to them. That is what this is talking about. That is the body of Christ earnestly desiring to meet needs, love being magnified. sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody, opening up our homes to share a loaf of bread with, or for me, a couple of scrambled eggs. That's the body of Christ. That's transformation. That's growth that he has called us to love being magnified. Secondly, this transforming grace being magnified in our lives should mean that humility becomes magnified in our life. Humility being magnified. Look at verses 14 and following with me. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Wow, that is so challenging. And yet Christ, as he's being nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. His conversation with Pilate was filled with the reality of who he was. And I'm not calling us to be pacifists. I'm not calling us to appease other people. I am just saying that we need to allow the Spirit of God to, to work in us and through us. Think of Paul and Silas beaten for sharing the gospel of Christ in jail in Philippi. You know, what are they doing? They're praising God and singing psalms and hymns. God does a miracle, has an earthquake, and what does Paul do? He doesn't just make the great escape. He goes to his persecutors and he starts sharing the gospel of Christ because everybody wanted to know, you guys are crazy. You're singing hymns. You're celebrating and you're in stocks. That just doesn't compute. Your life and my life are supposed to reveal that even in the midst of persecution. First Peter chapter 2 put this concerning Christ. Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, God, who 
judges righteously. And it was there on that cross where he bore our sins in his own body there on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Blessing those who persecute us. Humility. In humility, that is the only way we can. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Coming alongside of people in, in life where they are at, sincerely desiring to meet their needs, no matter what it is, emotionally, physically, wanting to do that in their lives. Having a good cry with people who lose someone they love, who lose a job, but yet trust God is going to meet their needs in the midst of all of it. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on things, high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Genuine humility. You know, God gives grace to the humble. James tells us that in James chapter 4, verse 6. He resists the proud. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, James said, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep over your sin. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humility. It's a hard lesson to learn, but yet God calls us to live that way. You know, in London, back in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon had a church and Joseph Parker had a church. And one Sunday, Joseph Parker stood in front of his congregation and he, and he just lamented because he had been around the orphanages that the Spurgeon Church and Pastor Spurgeon oversaw and, and they were just in great decay. And so he came and he shared with his congregation that his heart was broke uh, for the or orphanages because the conditions were so bad. Now, somehow, those words that he shared with his congregation, by the time they got through the gossip mill to Mr. Spurgeon, was that Pastor Parker was condemning the way the children were being cared for. Now, that was so far away. Spurgeon took offense to it and was offended. And rather than going to Parker, he stood in his pulpit the following Sunday and just blasted away at Parker. Telling him he didn't know what he was thinking about. And he was arrogant. La, 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 la. That was picked up by the newspapers and put and spread. And so the following Sunday, guess where everybody's at? Newspapers and everything, they're in Parker's church. How is Parker going to react? Because that's what the world does. It just so happened that that particular Sunday, Spurgeon was out of country at a conference sharing and speaking and at a rally. And so how would Joseph Parker respond? Well, he stood up there and he said, you know, last week I shared with you how, how the conditions are. And I think today 
would be a good day for us to take a love offering to help. And so he called the deacons forward and they passed the offering plates and they had to empty those offering plates three or four times just going through the church with this love offering. And the treasurer took this tremendous love offering and took it over to the to the church and gave it as a blessing for them to use within the orphanages. Charles Spurgeon gets into town and he hears what was done and how everything had been clarified. And Joseph Parker got a knock on his door and a humbled Charles Spurgeon walked into his office crying saying he was so wrong, asking God to forgive him and asking Joseph Parker to forgive him for everything. He says, you gave me exactly what I needed, grace. And he was humbled by it. And he repented openly in front of his congregation the following week. That is humility, folks. Sometimes we learn it the hard way. But that is what God has called us to. And you know that humility truly magnifies the grace of God. And last but not least, good must be magnified in your life, in my life. When we overcome evil with good, we reveal God's grace. Look at verse 17 with me. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. You know that's hard. You know, I, I, was, I was up in my 30s and, you know, and the first thing when anybody did anything wrong to me was retaliation. I will get even. You know, that was, that was my human nature. And, and you know that, but that isn't God's nature in me once I trusted Christ as Savior. And that's what he's calling us to do. Don't repay evil with evil, but have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. Wanting to encourage them. Uh, my wife worked in a workplace. It was an insurance company. And she was asked to work late one night. And as she worked, uh, her boss came out and said some kind things and big things. And then he planted a huge kiss on her lips. When Diane got home and shared that with me, you know my first thought was explosion. Punch somebody in the face. You know, and I went and prayed about it, and what can I do? And I did go and knock on the door, and because I had been a brawler before uh, salvation, uh, the gentleman was quite scared. (laughs) But he did open the door, but he made sure that the desk was between him and me all the time, which was probably a wise thing, but I talked to him kindly, and gently because I knew the man did not know Christ as Savior. And I want you to know when that conversation was finished and he knew that Diane would no longer work there, uh, 
it was still good. And I walked outside and I said, that's not me. But it was Christ within me. And I want you to know within six months, that man came to know Christ as Savior. That is God. That is what God does and how he works. Verse 18, if it is possible as much as depends on you, your side of it, live peaceably with all men. And again, it's all wanting to do those things that glorify God. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There will come a payday, and God's got it. I love this, and it goes on. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Such a blessing, to be a blessing to somebody who wants to torment, to be able to do that thing which just causes their conscience to burn within them and allow the Spirit of God to work. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Earnestly desiring to walk worthy. Good does win. I love Colossians chapter 1, the the prayer that Paul prayed for the folks in Colossae. It says this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that the Spirit would be alive in their lives, that you would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful and every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, the power of the resurrection, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, because he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you, but I love salvation. I love the fact that God graciously saved me. I often wonder why, why me? I didn't deserve any of it. And that's the purpose of it. That's God's grace and mercy. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. And here he's calling us to be living sacrifices. How? By being transformed, by utilizing our spiritual gifts, by growing in his grace, allowing him to be magnified in us. I'd like to share with you a story about a little guy by the name of Damien. I, I'm choosing not to use his last name. But Jeff Leland had decided to take a new job in teaching in a junior high school in, near Seattle. 
And in order to get there, it was a couple-hour commute from their old house, and they were struggling to find a new house. And so he drove the over three hours one way and back, and it was just it was just hard for him. But he loved teaching there. And it was just after they had closed on a house and they were getting ready to move and everything that they had found out that their newborn babe of six months old, their son, had a rare cancer. And that with this cancer, their son needed a bone marrow transplant. Now they found a perfect match for him so that the bone transplant could take place. Uh, But when they went to the hospital and the hospital ran all of his insurance uh, information, the insurance company, company denied paying for it. Why? Because he hadn't worked at this school for a full year, and that was a clause. Now, this bone marrow transplant was going to be well over, uh, just over $200,000. And they just began praying, how are we going to see, how, is, how are we going to do this? Our child could die. We need this. And, and so he shared that with a couple of folks at, uh, that he worked with, a couple other staff members. And their son had to go to a special specialist all the time and so he took the son to a specialist and took a day off from school and so one of the teachers shared the need with the with the classes as well as other staff members and and uh, the next day there's this little knock on the door and Mr. Leland goes to the door and here's little Damon Damien He knew Damien. Damien was a little guy who had a funny speech and often walked with a lip, was cruelly picked on by the other junior hires, often bullied in so many different ways. He goes, Damien, what are you doing here? And he goes, Mr. Leland, if your son is sick, I want to help. Well, that's wonderful, Damien. What, what could you do? And so he reached in his pocket and he pulled out 12 $5 bills, $60. Will this help? And Mr. Leland said, I'll take it. Thank you. He didn't know what to do with it, but he went and he started a little trust fund for the surgery with that $60. Well, the school heard what Damien did and the other students and things like that, and they wanted to do something so that by the end of the week, little Damien's gift for Michael's fund grew to $16,000. Within the next week, the the TV stations got wind of it and started a story and interviewed little Damien. And soon, by the end of that week, it had grown to $62,000. And the Lelands began approaching the hospital about moving forward with the surgery. By June 5th, it had grown to 143,000. By June 8th to 160,000. By June 9th, 185,000. 
only four weeks after Damien's little $60 gift, Michael Leland Fund hit more than $220,000. And the surgery went forward. It was successful. And you're probably thinking, well, those things happen. But what you don't know is that little Damien had just trusted Christ as Savior. And he was prompted by God. Go give all you got. And he told his mom and dad, I know God wants me to do this. So he took it all from his piggy bank. He did it. You see, mom and dad also knew that Damien's life was going to be cut short by what he had and within a month and a half after Michael's bone marrow transplant little Damien went home to be with the Lord I don't know about you folks but I want to give all I've got to my dying breath and I yearn for God's grace to be magnified in me, through me, for God's glory. This passage of Scripture, it is for everyday life for you and I, and it will continue into chapter 13. So how do we apply this? <laughs> Mom line, if you're here today or if you're online and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, to let today be the day of salvation. Start bathing yourself in the grace of God. Starting with repentance of sin and trusting Christ alone. Pray for yourself that you will grow and be transformed through the renewing of your mind from the inside out so that Christ is revealed in your heart and life. Thirdly, live in, be led by, walk in the Spirit of God. Be committed to doing that intentionally so that the Spirit of God is vibrantly alive in your life so that you don't grieve or quench Him. Be a student of God's Word. Love diving into it and sharing and being excited about all that He is. In horrible circumstances, Trust God, trust him, and trust God's people. Let's stand and close our time in prayer. Our Father and our God, we humbly come before you this morning, and Lord, you know our hearts. You know that if we are filled with apathy or excitement about who you are, you know whether or not we are your child or we are not. And Father, I pray, I just rejoice in this church because it is a healthy body of believers. But I'm just convinced before your throne that in this day and age, in our state and in our world, that we can all grow and reveal you more gloriously to each other as well as to a lost and dying world. 
Father, you know the needs of each of our hearts. And Father, as we sing this last song, Lord, if there's anyone in need, Lord, I pray they would come, pray, and watch you do great and mighty things in them and through them for your glory and your glory alone. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.